You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazing caribou studios. Welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. Today we are talking about lions. But first, five-star reviews and an email. Woot! So Laura LB tells us, who knew learning about animals could be so educational and entertaining? And I love the pop culture references. Check it out for some fun mental entertainment. Thanks, Laura. I think that should be called mentaltainment. Mentaltainment. <laughs> By the way, I have to apologize to the listeners because we've gotten a bunch of really lovely five-star reviews on iTunes and I have not read or acknowledged any of them yet, so we're going to start doing that today, and, and every few weeks we'll we'll read a few of these for you guys. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. The next one is from Nikki Thatcher. She says, I haven't met anyone who doesn't love this podcast. Donna and Paul are amazing hosts and have the best chemistry. I love listening to this podcast with my son. He loves it. Loves is in all caps. So thank you so much, Nikki. Yeah, thanks, Nikki. Also, Nikki has the greatest hair. So, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen her picture on our feed on Facebook. She has the best hair. She has, uh, is her, is she the one with the pink hair? Yes, isn't yes. she gorgeous? Yeah, yeah, oh she gosh. is. From the Film Roast Podcast, Varmints! First off, this is the best name for a podcast all about animals. Secondly, Donna and Paul are great hosts. You can tell they take their time researching each animal, and I don't think I've gone five minutes into one of their episodes without learning something. It's like watching National Geographic do stand-up. Listen to Varmints, so you can listen to people who are not animal experts have a fantastic time. We do have a fantastic time. Thanks, Filmrose Podcast. You guys are awesome. Yeah, that is a great review. We really appreciate it. And just today, hot off the presses, we got an email from Bridget Carey Davis. I love Davis. how you make the snail mail sound effect with the email. <laughs> <laughs> it's radio. It's theater of the mind. Bridget Carey Davis, she says, Hi, guys. Love the show. Great job, as always. Well, thank you. I'm one of those kind of people who will turn off a podcast to research something I n never heard of, like a weasel war dance. 
I went to Sonia Sokolov's video. Have you seen it? We have not seen it yet, but mm -hmm. we're going to see it. Don't yep. worry. We'll watch. Uh, she says, spoiler alert, rabbits are weasel food. But it is great to show the reason behind the dance and how effective it is. I was so happy to then go to the video you recommended. And she says this. This is the best part of the email. Maybe not the best part, but definitely the most uh, maybe noteworthy part. P.S. I've lost plenty of chickens to weasels. They would only eat the brain. Oh, that is so funny. Weasels are zombies. So, I don't know. It might be just that it's pretty easy to get at and quick to do, and you know, full of nutrients. There's so much meat on a chicken. Like, why yeah, would know, you just weasels, go for? The I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna have to do a whole show on weasels because we just did sort of the domesticated version. So, you know. To do weasels, and then we'll get the. I think there's a little video of a weasel, little bitty weasel called, I think he's called Ollie, that has a war dance video that's just about <laughs> likely to knock you out of your chair. <laughs> so funny. We'll go check out that video and we will put it on our Facebook page and so that everybody else can check it out. Yeah, thanks, Bridget Carey. Yeah, thank you. She's awesome. Just a reminder to go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmintspodcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestiones. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and give us a nice little rating and review. And now let's learn about lions! The kingdom of animals is fascinating! Now I'm going to tell you about their behavior and living pattern. So come on! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? We are blathering about lions today. Yeah. The lion, or Panthera leo, is its little uh, scientific name, is one of the big cats in the genus Panthera and is the second largest cat in the world, and it's also the first big cat we've ever talked about on the Varmints podcast. Yay! The biggest cat in the world, by the way, is the tiger. Mm -hmm. And we'll definitely do an episode on those in the future. Yes. Uh, the male lions, they are very recognizable. They have that big, large mane around their face and head and shoulders and chest. Female lions can weigh up to 400 pounds or 180 kilograms, Males can weigh up to 550 pounds or 250 kilograms. Uh, lions, I mean, come on, guys. You know what a lion looks like. They're typically light brown to tan in color. There are some that are very, very pale, almost white. The male's mane is generally brownish and tinged with yellow, rusted black hair. And uh, the most distinctive characteristic, I, I didn't realize this, the most distinctive characteristic shared by both females and males is that the lion's tail ends in a dark, hairy tuft at the end of the tail. Mm -hmm. And researchers and scientists still don't know quite why their tail adapted that way, mm -hmm. but they're the only cat that really has that going on on their tail. It's pretty cool. Yep. Yep. Uh, their distribution, we'll talk a little bit more about later, but it's pretty much confined to the continent of Africa and a very, very small pocket of Asia. They're not only in Kenya, <laughs> despite the fun little song at the beginning of the episode. Uh, <laughs> I should pull that little clip, only in Kenya. Only in Kenya. 
Come to Kenya, we got lions. I love that song. <laughs> but we are not in, uh, they're not just in Kenya. They're also over the place. I'm going to talk about today the idea of social learning in in animals and uh, particularly lions. If Have you ever heard of animals having a culture? Not really. I mean, that's more of a, okay. a term we apply to humans, isn't it? Yeah. E- Yes, but no. Um, animal okay. behaviorists use the word culture to talk about animal behavior all the time. Culture means you teach your children the things that you know. So, oh, okay, sure. So you might have seen on the internet some pictures of some lions climbing trees in Lake Manyara National Park. That's in Tanzania, not Kenya. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was uh, That park was famous for a while for its tree-climbing lions. However, more recently, it seems to be a common sight all over Tanzania in the various prides in Serengeti National Park and also out in Uganda in Queen Elizabeth National Park, in Botswana, in South Africa. So it's sort of interesting because tree-climbing lions are not as unusual as it was initially thought. But there are increasingly more reports from game reserves of lions climbing in trees. But the question is, do all lions do this, or is it only some prides? And it's pretty much only some prides. While climbing trees is unusual behavior for most lion prides, it seems to be a a common and repeated behavior among specific prides. So this is an indication that there may be a measure of social learning occurring, of older lions teaching younger lions how to climb trees. I mean, you can look at the videos of them doing it and realize that they don't have the greatest tree climbing skills. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have, they're very hesitant. They're very slow about it. They take their time and then they get up there and they just hang out in the trees. And I think it's probably mostly just to keep them off the hot ground and to, to get them, um, where there's some in under the leaves. So there's a little more shade and stuff like that. That seems to be what it's about, but you can tell that they're not they're not really made for it. They don't have the agi- the agility <laughs> and the grace of a leopard when they're getting up into the tree. Okay. So, so I was going to say they're not like the leopard where they're using it to hunt. Well, they are they do now. Yeah, they'll they well they're not using it to hunt. They but they'll drag a prey item up there that they've killed and sort of lunch on it leisurely. <laughs> Okay, well that's yeah. terrifying because I always thought to myself if I were being a you know running from a lion I would aim for a tree but I guess I can't do that anymore. No, if a lion is after you, you want to pick up a stick and hold it over your head and look as big as possible. <laughs> is that true? Is that that's what you're supposed true. to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, as far as I know that that is true. So, um, but uh, you know you're probably not ever going to be in that situation. So. Well, I should hope not. <laughs> <laughs> the question does not arise. <laughs> but uh, yeah, tree climbing lions, and that's that's some evidence that they're actually showing the young ones how to do it. So Neat. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, lions, they are by far the most socially inclined of all the big cats, maybe of all cats anywhere. Most other big cats, like uh, jaguars and tigers, they're very, very solitary. And generally the only reason they get together is to fight or to make little big cats. Mm-hmm. But the social organization that lions have actually is kind of an adaptation for mating and defense and just their survival in general, especially now that they're they're in a bit, quite a bit of trouble. Yeah. Um, socially speaking, there are two types of lions. Some lions are called residents, 
and they live in groups of related lionesses and their mates and their offspring. They're like a big family. And such a group, as many people know, is called a pride. And the area that the pride occupies is called, oddly enough, the pride area. So in the pride, the females are the ones that form the stable social unit, and they don't tolerate outside females at all. There are extremely large prides that consist of over 30 individuals, but typically the average pride may consist of about 15 lions, which usually consists of several adult females, maybe up to three or four males who generally patrol the fringes of the pride area, and then they have their cubs, both male and female. Now, if you're in a pride, you have protection in numbers, you reap the rewards of coordinated hunting efforts, and life is pretty good. But what happens to male cubs when they reach about two to three years of age, they get kicked out of the pride normally. Mm -hmm. And they're no longer residents. So then they form what is the second social type, which are called nomads. Now, nomadic lions don't have a pride area. They have a range. And that range very often brings them into other pride areas, which then leads to conflict with males from other prides. Once in a while, a female in a pride will leave and become nomadic, but it doesn't happen very often. It's mostly the males that have been kicked out of the pride that are forced to be nomadic. Mm -hmm. So they don't have the strength in numbers anymore. They have to do their own hunting. If they get injured in any way from another lion or from an animal that they're trying to kill and eat, then, you know, if they, if they have something happens to them that prevents them from hunting, they're going to die. A nomadic male lion can become a pride resident once again, but usually this entails infiltrating a pride area and overpowering the resident male, who then himself becomes a nomad. So once you're in the pride, you can become a resident. I mean, you can become a nomad and then become a resident again and then potentially become a nomad all over again. Yes. Male lions kind of have it rough. Only one in eight male lions in the wild survive to adulthood. Very, very few of them make it past the age of 10. Whereas female lions in the wild can live up to 20 years. Yep. But when the male is in a pride and there are several lionesses, the male lion can then breed with all those lionesses and make a whole bunch of lion cubs. Yes. So they make up for uh, the lost time from being a nomad when they get into a pride and they become a resident again. Yep. They also, a male lion, when it takes over a pride, it will it will kill all of the cubs that aren't his if if he has the opportunity. Yes, so, definitely. Yep. Yeah, so it's the, this is nature's way of getting the most tough, you know, lion. That's the one that is the best at putting up with their environment. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty harsh way to live, and so it's it's not a not a great life for the male lion and it's hard for lions in general because they you know hunting is is not successful all the time so they're they're pretty scraggly a lot in the wild um (laughs) you know yeah they have a they have a hard time of it and but this is just nature's way of being a lion so pretty much yeah uh, yeah i was um very that i was shocked when i started learning about them a couple of years ago about their numbers uh, about 30 years ago, there were roughly 400,000 lions across all of Africa, and now there are 20,000 in various countries. Their yeah. population has decreased by nearly 90%. 
in just one decade. Right. Um, and that that's because, like, humans, right? Humans breed and they yeah. populate. And then lion habitat becomes agricultural area. And then they start hunting the animals that the lion would normally eat. So then mm-hmm. the lion invades their farm and starts killing their livestock. And once that happens, then the humans start shooting the lions. So I adopted a lion from the Lion Conservation Fund a few years ago. This is a the Center for Lion Conservation and Research, and they're in Kenya. These guys are in Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> but their numbers say that lions were reduced by 90% in just the past decade. So that means that 10 years ago, there were 200,000 of them in Africa. Wow. Um, and that means, and we're talking about the males, 4,500 males. 4,500. And one big part of this that people don't like to talk about is trophy hunting. Trophy hunting is responsible for a huge amount of this decrease. Because what they do is they want the lion head for their wall. Because the lion head has the big mane. Well, who has the big mane? The males. So mm-hmm. who's responsible for creating most of the baby lions or the strong baby lions? Males, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the females have the babies, but you have to have the male to make the babies. It's kind of important. We already noted from what you said how few of them survive just in the natural way of just being a lion. Right. They have it hard enough. Yeah, they have it hard enough. And then there's trophy hunters out there killing these big beautiful males so basically when you kill a male lion you take out an entire pride wow you you kill other lions when you kill this one guy and there's only 4500 of them left in the world in the wild so going out there and taking just one of them might not seem like a lot but it really is you're wiping out because they don't even go after the ones that are the bachelors. They go after the big, strong ones that are that have prides. Right. <laughs> because they're the most pretty. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all scrawny and skinny and beat up. And, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The ones with the best mane of hair and the prettiest overall look are the big males that have a pride. So uh, it's just the, it's the most irresponsible. I'm just going to take a position. It's irresponsible. It's a terrible thing to do. And uh, you should not do it. Sorry, guys. That is a fail if you're doing that. Um, I'm not even against hunting, you know, uh, in general. It's just when an animal is at this great a risk, it's it's really a, not a good idea to, yep. to do that. So. I agree. The Lion Conservation Center works on uh, reducing lion poaching and retribution killing. They try to heighten local awareness and get the communities involved in conservation. And I'll put a link to them on the website so you guys can go check out what they do. They are amazing. Um, I adopted a bachelor lion. So that basically means that my money goes to the efforts that they to take care of and feed and, and medic, you know, get medicine for and doctor's treatments for and stuff the bachelor lions on their reserve. So Cool. It's really cool. You're not adopting a personal lion to bring home. You're just giving them money for their research and, and conservation efforts. So, yes. Sure. But they're wonderful. And I love my little lion. <laughs> <laughs> They send you a picture of the stuff and all that, so it's really cool. Neat. All right, it's disclaimer time. The Varmints Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence, but then we only really have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So on a scale of 1 to 10, I gave the lion a 6. 
because just because they're social and because they do learn from one another. Also, there's this really cool documentary on Netflix called The Lion in Your Living Room that goes into like a lot of the similarities that exist between your domestic household cat and your lion. And even though you can't really train a lion um, and you can't domesticate a lion, there is some intelligence there that I think is probably on par with you know, your your pet in your house. So I gave him a well, six. Well, you can definitely train them. You can train lions, for sure. Train I them mean, or tame them, like the guys in the circus with the whips and the train. chairs and stuff. Train? Yeah, you can train them, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, Siegfried and Roy had lions, the white lions of Tanzania in their show forever. Um, yeah, they can be trained but in circuses. and. I mean, yeah, it used to be like a whip and chair crazy thing, and... Uh, it's debatable how how good this is for the animal, but um, oh yeah, they can definitely be trained. There's all the lions you see in movies are trained animals. Yeah, they're huh. captive trained animals. Absolutely. I did not know that. You cannot tame them. They're always going to be a wild animal, but they are definitely trainable for sure. So, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So yeah. what would you give them on a scale of one to ten? I'm with you. I'd say six. You know. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, we are going to talk about lions and pop culture and a couple other things, but we are going to do that right after this message. Do you like movies? Get busy living or get busy dying. Mr. Anderson. Life uh, finds a way. TV? A girl has no name. Soft kitty, warm kitty. You didn't think I'd just disappear, did you? Music? Hello. All my friends are heathens, take it slow. Girl, the world. Girl, Video games? It's me, Mario. Get over here! Hey, listen! If you love geeking out about your pop culture passions, See Here's the Thing may be the podcast for you. Join me and my co-host Patrick as we dive into a weekly digest of news clips about movies, TV, video games, theater, and more. Special guests, improv games, and terrible celebrity impersonations abound in our weekly episodes published directly on Podomatic. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Google+, and Pinterest. See, here's the thing. It's where humor and pop culture collide. serious a toaster can beat a dragon toasters can get really hot dragons breathe fire to see how this and other battles end find my thing can beat your thing on itunes and google play and send your thing sightings to at thing beats thing on twitter for mtcbyt news i'm a news person and now for something completely different Hey, you know donna and i we're just a couple of nerds like you and we don't see animals up close and in person very often so let's talk a little bit about where we see them most of the time on movies, TV, and video games. I'm going to start with the MGM lion. That is the lion that appears in the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer logo at the beginning of those movies. 
That trademark lion was created in 1916 for Goldwyn Pictures Corporation. There was an ad executive named Howard Dietz, and Dietz needed a mascot, and he decided to use the lion as the company's mascot because it was a tribute to where he went to school, uh, Columbia University, and their athletic team mascot is the Lions. In 1924, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, or MGM, was founded when a business magnate named Marcus Lowe, he gained control of Metro, Picture, Metro Pictures, Goldwyn Pictures Corporation, and Lewis B. Mayer Pictures, and just shoved them all together into one thing, and they kept the lion as the, the mascot, or the logo. The first lion was named Slats, and he was used for the original Goldwyn Pictures design and for the first MGM ver version. And he didn't actually roar because this was in 1928 and there were silent movies back then. So he just kind of sat there and did a little people watching in the in the logo. <laughs> the second lion was called Jackie. Now, Jackie did give an audible roar, and that happened in 1928 for the movie White Shadow in the South Seas. And that roar was heard via a gramophone record that they played in conjunction with the movie. So it wasn't like... The sound wasn't embedded in with the movie yet. They were still almost silent movies. They actually built a soundstage around Jackie's cage to make the recording of that roar. Uh, in addition to appearing in the logo, Jackie also appeared in more than 100 films. Mm -hmm. He was in most of the Tarzan movies, so that was the same lion. They used a lion called Terry for about four years. The first two lions that appeared in color were called Coffee and then Tanner. And then Tanner was used until about 1956. Then they got a lion called George, who was used for about a year, and it's hard to find information on George about why he didn't last so long. But then in 1957, they got Leo the Lion, and they started using him, and he became the most used lion in MGM movies. He was also the youngest lion, and you can tell when you're watching an MGM movie that has Leo the Lion in it, First of all, because it was made after 1957, but also because Leo has the smallest mane of all the lions. Yeah, because he was the youngest. Because he's just a little baby. So here is the trademark roar of Leo the lion that you hear at the beginning of every MGM movie, I think even down to this day. I think in 2012, I think Skyfall, if I remember correctly, had the MGM lion in the beginning, and it was Leo. So here he is. So that's it. That's Leo the Lion from the MGM logo. Yeah, I actually knew about that. Uh, because, oddly enough, the MGM logo is sort of a standard evolution of a logo in graphic design courses. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> All over the world, so... This is uh, something that we did in, in our coursework was to look at the, the way that logo changed over time. So oh, along with that, we read about the lions and it was just sort of interesting because the lion, if you look at the stylized lion that they used in the 60s, that's pretty similar to one they're using today still as far as their their logo is concerned. They don't use the, the real lion anymore. So Oh, they don't. Uh, not as their logo for print materials and on buildings and things like that. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, the, the, 
the evolution of it over time from that sort of ri- film strip ribbon type of logo mm-hmm. over time to the one they have now. Yeah, graphic designers study that all the time. So. Neat. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about this horrible, scary thing. Uh, why don't you play the clip? Oh, my God. Holy lions don't do this. Lions never had a lair like this. They're doing it for the pleasure. They are not lions. They are the ghost and the darkness. We're in a race, Colonel, and the prize is the continent of Africa. We are building the most expensive and daring railroad in history for the glorious purpose of saving Africa from the Africans and, of course, to end slavery. How many do you think they've killed? Hundred, maybe more. Do we wish the world to think that the builders of the British Empire are afraid because of a few minor difficulties with the local wildlife? Are you sure this was a lion? Ooh, so dramatic. Yeah. Ooh, scary. (laughs) It's based on a true story. There were two lions that in uh, 1898 killed at least 35 people in the Savo region of Kenya and as many as 135. There's different accounts and, and it's kind of difficult to know how many people they actually killed. But the lions were eventually killed and uh, their remains were kept. And the remains can be st- uh, can still be seen to this day. I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to just look real quick and see which museum they're in so you can see them. I think they're in the museum in Chicago. Yeah, I think you're right. So, there was a lot of speculation about what made these lions go hunting people. And of course, people get very dramatic about anything that eats them. You know, <laughs> oh, they're a man-eater. Right. Oh, this is terrible. You know, like we're not just an animal walking around subject to predation just like anything else, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the question isn't why would they eat people, but why not eat people? <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that they don't, why not eat people is that we're just not their regular prey, right? So they eat big animals. They eat zebras and stuff like that. Um, These two guys end up having really bad tooth infections that probably made it incredibly painful to hunt those big animals with real thick hides and all that kind of stuff. Human skin is pretty light and tears very easily. So what drove them to do it in the first place was probably hunger but what kept them doing it was probably the fact that it was just so much easier on their teeth. You wow. Know? Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. Huh. Uh, they didn't show the signs. Their teeth are super infected, but they also didn't show the signs of wear and tear associated with crunching big, heavy bones. So they probably developed a taste for people through scavenging, probably people's midden, midden heaps, and then somebody just died from drought and disease and maybe they got him that way and uh, um, either way they probably began in desperation but um, you know they weren't really motivated by a lack of suitable prey with this tooth infection is what they're saying sure they're saying that this was uh, they had sizable abscesses in the tissues surrounding their tooth roots and their one of them had such bad damage that the pulp of his upper teeth were exposed so yeah wow Animals find a way to survive, you know. You can't really, you hate to see people 
getting eaten by lions, but then again, you know, that's what lions do. Yep, they gotta That's eat what stuff. animals in general do. They have to, yeah, they live, eat, make little copies of themselves, and yeah, that's pretty much yep. it. Interesting. Yep. So they weren't, uh, wow. the, you know, there was nothing dramatic like revenge or anything like this behind this. It's just an animal with terrible tooth problems trying to find something to eat. <laughs> 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 and kind of, you know, Got getting lucky on this sort of permanent site where there were people that, that uh, were, you know, pretty easy to take down and they got something to eat, so, you know. Hey, hey ghost, you know. Yeah, darkness. These uh, these people are pretty good, you know, once you get used to them. Uh, they're kind of stringy. They're a little stringy. They don't really fill you up, but, I mean, if you eat enough of them. Yeah. Doesn't hurt my teeth so bad, though. Oh. <laughs> We gotta find a dentist around here. Ah, <laughs> uh, black senses of humor. We're, so, we're terrible. We're so morbid. Morbid senses of humor. Anyway, <laughs> that's what that's that was the answer to what happened, basically. So, cool. Yeah, and the mystery has been solved. <laughs> Speaking of eating, I like mm. to eat. I like to eat Me too. too. Yeah. Lion, how about it? No. Uh-uh. Wow, that was a quick no. That was a really fast no. No, no absolutely not. Okay, so... They're far too endangered. They so. are, but the trophy hunters that put the head on the wall. Yeah. What happens to the rest of the lion? They just leave it there. Do they, or do they yeah. Do they butcher it and eat it? Because No, they never eat it. They never not eat as it? as far as I know. I've never heard of anybody, anybody eating them. Some of them might, but I don't think so. Okay. So. Because I I feel bad for saying this, but I would try lion meat. Because there are trophy hunters and because I think a more honorable use of that animal would be to eat it, and people do eat it. And also because there are breeders who raise lions and tigers and bears, oh my, for like zoos and circuses and stuff. And when those animals become too old to breed, what do you do with them? You know? And I think in those Hi. cases, I mean, I would never go out and hunt a lion ever, but why would you waste that? I think it's... Why would you encourage them, though, you know? Right. I mean, I so. I just don't... You know, if it's the difference between... If there's 400,000 of them, sure. Yeah. But if there's the problem that we have right now, then you can't even encourage people to, to do that, I don't think. Right. So... Yeah. That's just my opinion, man. <laughs> That's just my opinion, man, too. I mean, I just, I, I struggle with it, but, uh, you know, if I'm being honest and somebody put a piece of lion meat in front of me, I would totally try it. I wouldn't. No, I couldn't do it. It would be yeah. like offering me shark fin soup. I wouldn't care that the animal was already dead, you know? It's encouraging the behavior that I, I would have a problem with, so. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yep. Hey, Donna. Yeah. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, let's help everybody win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the animal fact of the week. We touched on it before, but the lion was once one of the most common mammals on the face of the inhabited earth. Uh, it was found throughout Africa, parts of Asia, the Middle East, and even into Southern Europe. But now only small pockets in Africa, including Kenya, uh, that's where the lion exists right now. And the last remaining Asiatic lions 
are found in the Sassangir National Park in India. I probably slaughtered the name of that place. But that little national park was primarily created to protect the last remaining Asiatic lions. So they're not all in Africa, but they used to be everywhere else. Uh, as yeah. far as a Asiatic lions, there's about 350 to 400 lions in the park. So there's not very many of them left either. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and if you look at the map that you're gonna that you gave us uh, to put in the show notes, it's that map stunning. is shocking. Yeah, it really makes you feel very quiet and sad. You know, it's it's very sad. Yep. So absolutely. Well, we don't like to be a big bummer on the Varmints show. We really hate it, but uh, every once in a while we have to. So. Yep. So we had a conversation with, um, or I had a conversation with the director of the Sanctuary Ambassador Program at the local wild animal sanctuary here in Denver, Colorado, and he covers the captive wildlife crisis, the roles of sanctuaries, and in specific tells a little story about some of the lions that they have there at their sanctuary. So we're going to play that little interview right now. Okay, I'm talking to Kent Drotar, the director, Sanctuary Ambassador Program of the Wild Animal Sanctuary near Denver, Colorado. Good morning, Kent. Good morning, Donna. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are all the animals this morning? Oh, they're loving it. They like the cool weather. Um, a lot of people are surprised by that, but most of our animals prefer cooler um, to hotter weather. Yeah, I've been out there, and I've seen them during the hot, high summer, and they were all pretty much lolling around, so I imagine they're probably a little more active. What kind of time do they eat in the morning? Well, actually, um, most of our carnivores just get at three times a week, including our African lions. And that stimulates a little bit more of how they would eat in the wild, where they typically hunt something, gorge on it, recover for a day or so, and then go about it again. So um, we don't have any kind of set eating time in the, in the morning or anything. Um, wow, that's really cool. Well, I bet they are super happy running around there in the weather. I wish I could be out there looking at them right now because it's so nice. Yeah, springtime's a great time to be out here. Um, we always advise our guests, you know, of course, not to come out in the heat of the day. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people do because they kind of think, oh, it's such a great sunny, hot day. Um, the animals, of course, are laying low in the shade. And it tends to be towards evening in the summer months that the animals start to get more active, of course, um, especially the lions. I understand lions are your topic of the day. And, you know, they tend to be mostly nocturnal or crepuscular, which is actually when they're active around sunrise and sunset, too. Right. What is the function of the wild animal sanctuary? Can you talk a little bit about that? And then we'll talk about your Bolivian lions, which I just love that story. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, um, the wild animal sanctuary has been in existence since 1980. Um, we've been incorporated um, as a 501c3 since 99. And I say that because we were started by an individual and then it was just a family um, run affair, if you will, for about 19 years. But what we do is we specialize in rescuing captive-born as opposed to wild-born large carnivores. So the majority of our animals are bears, lions, tigers, wolves, mountain lions, foxes, bobcats. And what I typically do to describe our animals is basically animals with sharp claws and sharp teeth. And uh, most of them are rescued from abusive and or illegal situations. And it, um, once the animals are confiscated to be by a law enforcement agency like the USDA, then um, they look for a home for them. And we're one of the few places in the country that will provide a lifetime home for these animals and let them just live out their lives in retirement. Wow, that's 
really interesting. So, so what exactly is the captive wildlife crisis? Well, the captive wildlife crisis is um, just the name given to a huge problem that a lot of people aren't even aware of. Um, believe it or not, there's about 25 to 30,000 large carnivore-type animals, the ones I just listed, animals with shark claws and shark teeth, um, outside of zoos in just the U.S. And most of those, believe it or not, are being held as um, private as pets. Um, people try to have these animals as pets. So, I mean, it never works out, I should just say. It's always um, a poor situation for the animal. And what happens in this captive wildlife crisis is these animals are being kept in very abusive situations. They have small cages. They don't get the stimulation they need. And so it becomes just a you know, just a horrible place for these animals to live. Um, and like I said, it's a huge problem. Uh, tens of thousands outside of zoos. A number that always gets people um, to really you know, perk up and listen about this cat wildlife crisis is the fact that there are more tigers in Texas than there are in the wild. The state of Texas has more tigers. More tigers in private homes in Texas. Yep, there's about 4,000 of those animals, the four things. The vast majority are being kept in private residences. Some of them are on um, hunting ranches as well, where people can buy canned hunts. Uh, yeah, currently in the wild, sadly, there's only about 35 to 3,800 tigers, I think, was the last census. So, like I said, more tigers in Texas. And that's just Texas. And there's other states, of course, 49 other states that people might have tigers in. Wow. Probably not Colorado and some of the states with pretty strict laws, but you never know. I mean, people sometimes have no problem breaking the law. Well, that was the question that my partner, Paul, wanted me to ask you. He couldn't be with us this morning. He's at the office working his regular job. <laughs> Paul's question was, how does a person even get a large predator like that? Isn't it illegal? Well, it is in many of the states. Um, you know, here in the United States with 50 states, we have 50 sets of laws. Um, there's no overarching law to prevent the ownership of such animals. So some states like Colorado, where I happen to be and where the sanctuary is located, has very strict laws about exotics. Um, some states allow some exotics. Others um, don't allow them, or excuse me, allow them, but you have to have a permit. And that's how we know there's about 4,000 tigers in Texas, is that Texas doesn't prohibit such animals, but you're required to have a permit. And that's how they know there's about that many tigers. And then finally, believe it or not, for Paul, um, you might be surprised to hear that there's still five states in the U.S. that have no laws against owning exotics, dangerous exotics. Um, and if you want, I can list those states. So um, it has North and South Carolina, Alabama, Wisconsin, and Nevada. He's going to be really surprised that Florida's not on the list, I think. <laughs> a lot of crazy stuff goes on down there. <laughs> yeah, there is. There are some states that we've traditionally gotten a lot of animals from, and um, Florida would be one of them. Ohio was another one for many years, and actually still is now that they're tightening their laws. But um, yeah, it's just it's crazy out there. Well, people have... We've talked about on other shows how people are so separate from the wild now that they've kind of forgotten that these animals are dangerous, and... Um, they do silly things like walk up to Buffalo out at Yellowstone to try to touch them and stuff like that, you know, because they're like, oh, they're, they are herbivores. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, they have, they're big, strong with hoofs and horns and everything. So, yeah, I mean, people just get this idea that these animals can be pets. And, you know, part of it is probably from uh, cuddly stuffed animals, which, of course, um, everyone has and not saying anything wrong with that. But we just get these notions that um, if you can keep an animal in captivity, which, of course, we can through cages and different things, then therefore it becomes a pet. Um, but that isn't the case because there's a big difference between a domestic pet and a wild animal, even one that's been born in captivity. Right. Well, would you please tell me your story about the Bolivian? 
Indian lions. Uh, I love those lions. I loved looking at them when I was there. And I, they have a little interior enclosure you guys built especially for them. And I just love watching the video. And could you tell me about that story? Oh, certainly. Believe it or not, that's over six years ago now that we rescued 25 African lions from Bolivia. So oftentimes people will hear Bolivian lions and think it's some kind of subspecies of lions from Bolivia. But no, they are African lions uh, that at one point were brought over to Bolivia or South America and have been bred in captivity. The animals we got and found out about were circus animals. And what had happened is in 2009, the country of Bolivia passed a law banning animals in circuses including exotics and especially exotics. And they had worked with an organization called ADI, Animal Defenders International. And ADI um, is an international organization that advocates and helps countries pass laws to protect animals. And ADI had gone undercover for some length of time to various circuses, traveling circuses in Bolivia, and documented incredible cases of abuse, neglect, and if you will, torture. I mean, the way they treated some of the animals. And as a result of that, they were able to get people of Bolivia um, behind a law that would ban animals and circuses. And so that law, is, Law 4040, was passed in the summer of 2009. And as a part of the law, circus owners were given about a year to come into compliance with the law. And that is to remove the animals from their circuses, find new homes for them, and get them out of that business. And the circus owners were told at the end of the year period that any animals they had left would be confiscated. So by the end of 2010, we were contacted, the Wild Animal Sanctuary was contacted by Animal Defenders International, and they told us that they had 25 African lions from eight different circuses. And they asked us, um, they didn't know us real well at the time, but they knew we rescued large carnivores. And so they asked us, we just asked us, excuse me, if we could take any of those 25 lions. And we said, yeah, we would take all of them. Um, I think their jaw kind of dropped at that point because I don't think they expected us to say we would take all 25 African lions. So they came out, saw what we did. Um, we specialize in having large acreage habitats. Most of our large animals, our bears, lions, tigers, wolves, have habitats anywhere from about 5 to 25 acres. So they came out and saw that we had a lot of land for them. They saw a lot of healthy, happy animals, other lions, tigers, and all kinds of creatures, and saw that and we do a very good job of taking care of them here. So they agreed. And at that point, now we're looking at about Christmas of 2010, we asked them, when would you like to bring them up here to Colorado? And they said, how about early February? And at that point, I think our jaw dropped because that was only six or seven weeks away at that point. And yeah, wow. so it was, wow, was right. And That's not a lot of time. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And we knew they were getting here in February when it tends to be, you know, pretty cold here, especially for animals coming from um, South America. So we knew we had to build a building that we could heat. So we built a 15,000 square foot structure in six and a half weeks. Um, and we called that our Bolivian lion house. And we waited for our lions to get here. And believe it or not, all 25 flew on a big cargo plane from Bolivia up to DIA, Denver International Airport. And we went down there in our caravan of trucks and trailers and we transferred those animals into our equipment. Um, we appreciate United Airlines. They let us use their hangar so that we could do that. And we brought those animals back here. And as you know, Donna, from what you've seen inside are eight different smaller enclosures in the lion house. And that was to accommodate the eight different circuses that were represented. So each of the, or all of the animals from a particular circus were placed together in one of the smaller enclosures. And then they would get to know each other later. Yep. They would get to know each other. They started to acclimate to Colorado's weather. Plus it allowed us to build more large habitats. Um, 
the largest one being 24 acres attached to that lion house where the animals would eventually live. So over the next few months, uh, we worked like crazy and built four large habitats surrounding that lion house. And as time went on that spring of 2011, we started turning the lions out um, in the different habitats. Um, so we have um, we had one family group, the Cavallini Pride, because they came from the Cavallini Circus, consisted of eight lions, and it was mom and dad and six offspring. And so we just kept that as a pride, and they all went out into one habitat. And then we had another family group, excuse me, it was mom and dad and five offspring. It, on the video, it, with um, you had some trouble with one of the circus groups not wanting to let their lions go, even though you had a legal order, and you had to get some backup from, was it the local police? Yes, um, we didn't participate in that portion of the rescue. That was Animal Defenders International. But they met a lot of resistance from these circus owners because obviously these were the circus owners that had not come into compliance and had kept their animals or hid their animals. And so they had um, Animal Defenders International had to be pretty sneaky in one case about tracking down one particular circus. Um, and then they did have to get quite a bit of law enforcement in there to you know actually take the animals and keep the people away. And even the Places that did give up their animals, at least according to all the video and testimony that we saw, um, a lot of them did it very reluctantly, and the people that went in to get those animals met a lot of resistance. And so it was a it was a tough situation because you know for the circus owners, in a lot of ways, they're losing a part of their livelihood. And um, yeah, but they couldn't even afford to take care of them anyway because if you look at the video and the conditions those little lions were living in. They were living in cages and stuff, and they'd never had grass under their feet, and, you know, it's all cramped, and the heat has to be pretty terrible. They hardly have any shade, and, I mean, the shade of the cage, right? But that's got to be pretty hot and awful, and... Yeah, because it's steel. Um, and in one of our lionesses, lion, a female lion named India, she came from a circus by herself, and she was in a cage that had no shade protection. Um, yeah, and then the, the one pride, the Cavallini, eight lions all lived in a six-foot-by-12-foot trailer. Um, and we have video of that where they couldn't even, of course, lay down at the same time, all of them. Ugh. And um, they now have our, our, our largest lion habitat of 24 acres, so they're very deserving of that. For people that live in Colorado, come and visit the Wildlife Sanctuary. You you, the Wild Animal Sanctuary, you will not regret it. It is a really great experience. And these are not animals that are going to be bred. These are animals that were in terrible situations in their lives, and they have been given a place to live as nature intended, as wild animals. They, The sanctuary is huge. They have lots of room to roam, and all the animals are sterilized. Is that correct? And I, since we're talking about lions, you know, they're kind of in a unique situation out here. So we don't typically spay females. Um, obviously, an ovario hysterectomy is pretty invasive surgery. And plus, there's no way to keep the animals from pulling out sutures after the fact, like you can with your dog or cat when you can put a collar around their neck. We don't have that luxury. That's a big and deal, so we right? don't. Yep, we do. And which is what we do with the exception of lions. So we neuter all the male animals except for African lions. Uh, people may not realize it, but African lions and their wonderful manes which, of course, protect them in fighting and are part of, um, you know, the whole dynamic of being a, a male lion, but also the pride life. Um, if you neuter a male lion, he's going to lose that mane. Um, it's based on testosterone levels. And that mane really plays a role in pride dynamics. It plays a role in the psychology of the particular lion himself. So what we do is our female lions are on birth control. Ah. Yeah, they are on a, a contraceptive implant similar to norplant in humans, which is an estrogen-based implant that suppresses their estrocycle. And, and as a 
result of that, um, we can also have multiple lions living, multiple males living together because, you know, they're not fighting over all those pretty girls. How wonderful. That's amazing. Um, Thank you so much for talking with me this morning. Can you tell me how people can support the sanctuary? How can they get involved and where do they come and visit you? Okay, um, yep, we're just about 35 miles northeast of Denver. Um, for those who live in the call, it's an easy drive. You just get on I-25, go north a little bit, get on I-76, so it's almost interstate the whole way. Um, you come out to a little town of Hudson, about 30 miles northeast of Denver, and then go a little bit east and south. And um, people just need to give us a call or look at our website. Our website is wildanimalsanctuary.org. Um, our phone number for those who would be interested would be 303 one eight, and um, we can answer any kind of question. Um, but, so I'd just like to give a quick idea of what people can expect when they come out here. We currently have 720 acres. We have almost 450 um, animals here at the sanctuary, including 70 African lions. So it's um, almost the highest concentration of lions you would find here in the United States if it isn't. And they almost all live in big functional prides. So people normally will hear roaring. They'll see pride dynamics going on and see these lions living as lions live. Um, you know, in a very close social um, unit. So it's um, just a great place. If you're interested in tigers, other big hats, we have about 55 tigers. And we have mountain lions. Um, we have lynx and bobcats, of course, and wolves for the canine people out there and everything, foxes and coyotes too. So um, it's easy to get to. We're open every day of the year with four exceptions. We're only closed four days a year on Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and Independence Day on the 4th of July. Otherwise, we're open from 9 a.m. to sunset. So right now, if they believe it or not, getting to be late, May, we're open until about 8.15 in the evenings. I want to come right now. <laughs> I know. Well, hop in your car and come on out. I wish I could. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, I really, really appreciate your time. I love the sanctuary, and I can't wait to visit it again. Hey, Donna. Um, thank you for thinking about us and your support and everything, and come out and see some of our lions. That was super, super interesting. Thank you for doing that, Donna. Yeah, yeah, and thanks to Kent Drotar. He was a really cool guy. Yeah, thanks, Kent. We actually have lions in our local zoo here, and it's something when they roar. It's one thing to hear a lion roar, like what I just played, you know, like on TV or in a podcast Mm -hmm. or something. It's quite another thing to hear a lion roar either right in front of you or even if you're a couple hundred feet away, to hear that lion roar. You can feel it in your chest almost. It's really a an awesome experience. Yeah, it is, totally. Our guys in Denver are interesting because um, there was a big to-do about them being pure African lions. There was apparently a a time there where the populations of captive lions in America had some mountain lion DNA interspersed here and there. So um, they've been, there's been a movement among zoos to make sure that they have pure African lions with no adulteration from other species. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so our guys are, are um, they're captive born, but I think they are definitely, uh, they are clear of mountain lion DNA. So there's a whole project you can read about um, in conjunction with that. But um, uh, yeah, pretty important to make sure your captive guys are clean if you're thinking about restoration effort, efforts and stuff in the future. Yeah. So, yeah. That was yeah. neat. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it was really great. If you guys ever come visit Colorado, uh, contact me and I will take you out and we'll tour the sanctuary. It is amazing out there. I'd love to see it someday. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks everybody for listening to this podcast. 
As always, we have technical support by Matthew Chomo and music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you so much, guys. On today's Rugrat Corner, Sylvia has something to say about lions. My name is Sylvia Sydney Rodhavi, and I will be introducing you about lions. Lions might... Lions will chase zebras and they'll eat them, I think. And, and, and hunters might like to kill them, to eat them. And, 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 and that's how, and, and, and I'm gonna let my mommy talk now. Lions look like they're, they're brown and furry and, 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 and they have dark brown faces and 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 they're very very furious furious lions might eat you watch <laughs> out for lions lions might eat you watch out for lions they might eat you <laughs> oh That's sylvia true. they might <laughs> that is awesome Sylvia's. thank you so much sylvia is so fun i love sylvia so much Hey, thanks everybody again for listening. Watch out for lions. And until next time. Watch out for lions and be nice to animals. (laughs) You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Blazing Caribou Studios. Come to Kenya, we got lions. (laughs) Only in Kenya. I'm going to be singing that. That's going to like loop in my brain now. All day. All day.